Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes available in paperback, ebook, Kindle, and audio format at Audible and Amazon. So, Grab a few copies. It's almost Christmas. Shove them in a couple of extra large stockings and whack your husband over the head with them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hubbies. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, and here I am, Bill. You know, it's a couple of weeks from Christmas. I'm sitting around. What kind of gifts am I going to get? It's like, I just got to buy the 10-volume set. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Your niece and nephew would love that. (laughs) Uh, Listen, the uh, folks, volume 11 is in the hands of my uh, book lady, Casey Smith, Sugar Studios. You ever need any help with graphic arts, book building, whatever it may be? Casey Smith at Sugar Studios is your girl. I guarantee. Whoa, ho! <laughs> hey, Kev, are you aware? Uh, at the time of this podcast posting, that we just passed uh, Krampus Day. I did not know that. Yeah, December 5th, Krampus Day. Krampus Day. That's like St. <laughs> Nicholas Day, right? Similar. <laughs> Only St. Nicholas was nice and Krampus is not. Yeah, is St. Nicholas the day after Krampus? I Well, I always think of it around December 5th, but I don't know what the official day is. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, at any rate, I was thinking about it and... Uh, uh, a fr- oh, by the way, a friend of the podcast, Philip, uh, he said to me, tell your brother that his pronunciation of those Cherokee words in that segment you did on the, uh, uh, what was that, <laughs> that creature, that needle finger or spear yeah, finger? Spear finger. Yeah, spear finger. He said your pronunciations was very good. Whoa, I thought you were going to say, yeah, his pronunciation sucked. I mean, yeah, because really you don't have to you don't have to write in or call to tell me that. Yeah, yeah I wish. <laughs> thank you, I, Philip. That's very nice of you to say that. Yeah, I was shocked to hear it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Usually people are pretty critical of my English language oh, pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, you know, it's a shot in the dark when you read these oh, things, that, you know. That uh, Native American stuff, you know, that's why they were so successful as uh, code talkers, right, in World War II. It's like, jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Nobody knew that language except for them. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. That's right. So you had guys trying to figure it out. It was no code. It was right. a language. You right. know, and uh, the inflections and, uh, you know, the way it's spoken. Uh, you know, who? what were German uh, conspirators or Russians or Japanese to make of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. They probably thought it was some Enigma machine. <laughs> Changing the voices. Changing the voices, right? I mean, that's good. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's a good question. I wonder if they had any inkling as to what was really going on. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Bill. So uh, first off, before we get into cryptids in the news and other oddities, so about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, as you know, I was up in Halifax, Nova Scotia for mm-hmm. five or six days. And uh, I was never, I had never been up to Halifax before. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, not in the middle of nowhere, but close to it. Close to it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, I flew through uh, from North Carolina to Newark, New Jersey, and I was looking at my flight time. You know, one, it's an hour later up in Halifax than it is in uh, like New York City. It's it's Atlantic time versus Eastern time. Okay, and uh, and then uh, the only way to get up there was on this Air Canada turboprop. For three hours, so wow! Out of where? Out of Newark, really? Yeah. Turboprop. So we were cruising along at about twelve thousand feet. Wow! 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 <laughs> <laughs> for three hours, landed in a blowing snowstorm. Great, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Side wind. Uh, you had a crosswind on cross the airport. Crosswind, of course. Couldn't of course. see anything. It was beautiful. Really yeah. good. It's almost like bush piloting. Exactly. Fortunately, the guy flying it, you know, sometimes you get on these little planes and the guy flying it is like 15 years old, or at least appears to be 15 years old. This one had some gray hair, which I was happy to see. So he was uh, prematurely whiting at 17. (laughs) (laughs) But while I was up there, now this is like a good news, bad news. Uh, it's bad news because I didn't get to what I, where I was trying to get to because my primary job just had me too busy. But I was trying to get down to Oak Island. Oh, oh okay. It's not that far away from up there. So I had yeah. my maps out before I left here in North Carolina. I was like, oh, I don't even know if I can get onto the island, but they have a museum and stuff there, it says. so. Yeah, no, they do. I was like, maybe I can get over to Oak Island and uh, see them while they're wrapping up digging. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, well, I think this time of year they're done over there. Well, that sideways snow would lead me to believe they're probably <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah, they're, uh, uh, all of their excavations around there are kind of in fair weather, and you see that on the program. Exactly, right? exactly. And you uh, see how fast, or I should say how worried they are about the weather turning. Yeah. While they're filming that show. Like, it looks pretty darn nice out. And they're like, oh, we only got about three more days, you know. Yeah, just like a switch goes. Before that snow starts coming down sideways. You know, Kev, I had an incredible encounter that's in, uh, geez, I guess it's in volume 10. It might even be in volume 11 right now that's being worked on. I think it's in 11. Uh, I had an incredible discussion with a fellow from Nova Scotia. Really? Who had, uh, apparently there were several 
uh, sightings and uh, knowledge of Bigfoot in Nova Scotia. And this came from the early, geez, I want to say the early 60s. Uh, it slips me now, but very interesting, you know. So the hairy guy is around in different places. And, of course, they weren't calling it Bigfoot back then. Uh, he He reiterated they were referring to it as the Big bear that walks on two legs. So this is what people were saying about it, you know, Mm. but uh, interesting, interesting. Very cool. Well, maybe you'll be up there again in nicer weather and get to check out uh, Oak Island, you know. Well, that's my goal. I mean, it was pretty nice, um, like pretty cool place, uh, Mm. but it would be... It would probably be much nicer to visit in the summertime than in the early winter, or not, I guess, late fall, technically, but it sure felt like winter. Mm-hmm. But You know, and I'm, I tell you what, Kev, I'm with them on that show. Uh, I have always felt, with the amount of artifacts that they're coming up with in this place, uh, ranging back from 2,000 years old, to the uh, 1600s, 1200s. To me, I don't know what was the primary choosing of that location, but it seems to me like there's a number of things possibly stashed there. A lot of strange stuff going on, for sure. Like, for a little tiny island, you know, basically in the middle of nowhere, certainly had a lot of traffic from a lot of different places, right? I mean, yeah, and you know, I don't know, I don't have area knowledge. It's not like you're talking to me about Stony Brook, but it had to have been a very appealing harbor or safe haven for big sailing vessels to kind of anchor into and get to the shore safely. That would have then led to the choosing of the island as potentially a burial site. Right, but I I mean, I'm not an expert on Oak Island geography, but I don't think it was a great place. Like, you know, I mean, certainly it was a remote place. Right. But like I'm I'm saying like Halifax right up the road, one of the deepest harbors on the East Coast. I was told when I was up there, you know. So maybe they thought that as being too blatant. Too blatant. I agree. Yeah. You know, like, be hard to hide in Halifax. Right. And and go about some shady business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I don't think it was a great location. I think it was just a remote location. Right. And that Mahomes Bay area is probably a little more off the beaten track even in those days. But some of these things, if you buy into it, some of these potential uh, uh, people on the island were there freaking 1,500 years ago. I know. I know. You know, a thousand years ago, who was yep. there except for indigenous peoples? Right. You know. Yep, I agree uh, with you. It's so pretty crazy. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I I always look forward to it. It's like F1. I like the season to start. <laughs> <laughs> F1 in Oak Island. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So All what right, you, got, you ready bro? to get some creep on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I love the creep. All right, we're going to go and get a little bit of creep on and a little bit of history, some more history uh, in cryptids in the news and other oddities. We're going to talk tonight about the Casket Girls. Oh, and this came in from one of our uh, listeners. It did. Mm-hmm. 
And are you familiar with the Casket Girls, Bill? I am not. I got a little bit of the lowdown on it, but uh, I can't wait to hear your exegesis. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you want to hang out with the Casket Girls. (laughs) Well, they're nice. They're like black-eyed children, I guess. Yeah. I just want to use your telephone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, the Casket Girls, so a little bit of background, right? So, back in the 1700s, here in the United States, we had a big colony in the South, a new colony, that was a French colony Mm -hmm. called Louisiana. Oh, yeah. And Louisiana, apparently, back then, it was having a population crisis, meaning, like, there weren't enough new babies being born. So, believe it or not, the governor of Louisiana, Jean-Baptiste Lamoine de Uh Bainville, how's that for a name? Yeah, (laughs) Jean-Baptiste. Asked the French government (laughs) to send good, wholesome women who could be married to the male French colonists in the territory. Can you imagine? Talk about mail-order brides. (laughs) You know, Dear can you Santa. send over a boatload of chicks? <laughs> Dear Santa, <laughs> I've been nice, and so have all these Frenchmen. Santa but it turns out, good, wholesome wives. Yeah, and and we're going to tell this story in two parts. So okay. This uh, this there's a lot written about this on our good friend the internet um but this i think is seems to be the most factual and then we'll get into the creepier and uh could be factual as well right i can't tell right but um you know so so we'll 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 tell two tales of the casket girls okay um both are similar though so so Instead, when they wrote this letter to the French government and asked for these wholesome women, of course, you know, you can imagine the king of France is sitting there saying like, yeah, let's uh, let's recruit all of our best and most beautiful and most wholesome, wholesome women and send them to Louisiana. Like, you know, first off, how the heck could that possibly happen, right? You know, Yeah, just uh, it's basically slavery or taking them yeah, as an indentured yeah, servant. Yeah, maybe send them to the Versailles Palace outside of Paris, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out, sorry, sorry, all you French people out there. <laughs> Jean Baptiste. Vive la France. <laughs> um, so, so apparently, uh, the government sent women gathered from the grimmest institutions in France. So they say that of the 258 women, <laughs> you're, you're enjoying that. The grimmest. The grimmest. So get these stats. Of the 258 women shipped to Louisiana, Louisiana between 1719 and 1721. So real short period of time, 258 women shipped. Uh-huh. 29 were from orphanages. So that's not necessarily bad, but I wouldn't right, say right. they were like elite. Uh-huh. Uh, 35 were from poor houses. 194 were convicted criminals from the infamous Prison La Force. (laughs) Honey, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What? Like 200, roughly, of the 258 came from a vicious prison. That's like wholesome young women. (laughs) Well, she was good with a knife. (laughs) 
She could you carve should have a seen turkey. her carve a roast. Yeah, I was gonna say she could carve a turkey like no other. <laughs> <laughs> so and and they called these women when they arrived the casket girls. And that was a name that came uh, after these, they were called cassettes or small trunks that they brought with them to Louisiana. So they would carry these small trunks across their, across their chests. And uh, people said they looked like caskets, um, little caskets, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty pretty wild. Um, you know, and they say, they write more about the women that were recruited. They said it's unlikely that the women had much of a choice in the matter of their immigration, right? Right. Um, French officials, it turns out, referred to them as women without futures. Okay, you know, it reminds me a lot of uh, areas of the criminal justice system and houses of detention and stuff, I think they try to push a lot of these people into the services. Yeah. You know, it's a way out. They tell yeah. you, look, you want to get out of this, we'll sign you up, uh, go in, maybe you can make a life for yourself, you yeah. know? Yeah. So now, the so that's kind of what happened. And But there, there's a lot of rumors and stories about, like, bad things that happened after these women arrived in Louisiana. Okay. So, you know, basically they were taken care of by some nuns in a convent down there. And they were they were given charge of these uh, women. And they're, they're called the Sisters of the Ursuline Convent. Okay. That, that took charge of them. And they were down there in Louisiana. And um, these women, what's interesting, when they first got off of the ship... Um, the Frenchmen all called them pale, or however you say that in French, pa. <laughs> and then they go further, and they said that they were so pale that as soon as they came out into the sunlight, their skin reddened and blistered within moments of of being touched by the sun. Wow. So what does that remind you of, potentially? Uh, zombies or something. Zombies? What other? What mm. other kind of creature can't come out in the daytime? Uh, well, potentially the vampire. The vampire. <laughs> so there's a lot of stories that go on that these casket girls were really vampires, and they I, were put. I mean, all of them or some of them? Like all of them. Like they were shipped there because they were vampires. Oh, like, so so much for where they had come from. They well, I just... told you, it's confusing. It's a tale of two stories. Okay, yep, yep. Right? But, I, I mean, I see this wherever I read about it. You see these two stories. Mm -hmm. And um, it's pretty interesting. So they talk about the fact that when, when uh, these nuns uh, figured out that things were, were going astray with these ladies that came over and that they might be up to some, some uh, you know, true no good things <laughs> sneaking out at night it turns out that they sealed all of the windows short, shut of this top floor of the convent at 1112 Rue Chatres uh, in Louisiana mm -hmm. and uh, they actually bolted the door shut and nails to the windows were blessed by the Pope himself 
and locked in place. Now, this two-part story, do you think this part of the story is legitimate? I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. I don't just... know, but there's a lot out there written about the fact that, you know, there was something weird going on here. Yeah, well, look at what happened in Salem with all these finger-pointing and all this and that and people true. getting killed. True. So uh, if any of this is partially true and even some of them were suspected as being this, could this have been literally a vampire hunt instead of a witch hunt? Uh, that's a great point, Bill. It's a you great know. point. So one of the stories out there, and this is on like a, a ghost hunting site from Louisiana. So, you know, it's not like um, National Geographic, you know, or something like that. But it's an interesting story, so I'm going to share it with you. In 1978, so not that long ago, two paranormal investigators were looking into whether these women uh, were actually vampires. So, you know, because, of course, it was a long time earlier when they actually existed, but vampires, you know, live nearly forever, right? So they figured, let's go to this convent, the old Ursuline convent at 1112 Chatres Street, and... They camped out directly in front of the convent, and they were looking for something strange to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And they did this a couple of times. The first time they did it, they got kicked out of the property for loitering, um, and then they came back, and uh, they ended up staying the night there. And the hours passed, they didn't see anything, and finally they fell asleep. But in their slumber, they failed to notice that these third-floor shutters— which is where these folks were locked in with the blessed, with the nails that were blessed by the Pope, uh, were opening and shutting. Huh. And they had cameras set up that saw this scene happening when they reviewed it in the morning. Hmm. Okay. It's odd. Certainly but, odd. But get this. The next morning, it gets a little uh, more grisly here. The bodies of the investigators were found... And the bodies had been torn open and ravaged as if by the claws of an animal. And the bodies had no blood in them. What? That's the story. Oh. I told so, you we were going to get the creep on. So the cameras showed the evidence of these shutters opening and shutting, but of course they were asleep and then... Uh, Maybe they, maybe maybe they were dead. Who knows? Yeah, but the but this is how the story rolling. goes, you know. And I couldn't find it in a newspaper or anything, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, listen. Why don't you go on a little assignment and camp out there? I'd rather go to Oak Island. <laughs> By the way, I won't be going to the Goatman Bridge in Texas either, <laughs> and certainly not around midnight. Oh, it's a nice place to sit and have a PBJ and a cup of Joe and a thermos. There you go. By yourself. <laughs> By Maybe yourself. flash the headlights a few time, times at midnight. With no batteries in your flashlight. See if you can wake somebody up. <laughs> Maybe with a Ouija board. <laughs> For entertainment purposes only. Of course. Wow, that was freaking creepy, man. Casket girls. You like those casket girls, huh? Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> you know, there's no end to the creep. 
I'm telling you, there's plenty of creep out there. <laughs> and I'm telling you, all you got to do is ride into Jamaica. You want to see creep, stand on the subway platform. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon me, folks. Well, I tell you what. Uh, I pulled this account out of the box because of the nature of it is apropos for this time of year as things are getting a little chilly and a little frosty and maybe a little snowy. And this account was shared with me by a fellow named Robert Hertz, a then resident of Erie, Pennsylvania. And this is what Robert had to say about his encounter. First of all, I would like to thank you, Bill, for giving me the venue to share just what exactly my wife and I experienced, which scared the living hell out of us both. I lived near Erie, Pennsylvania, about 10 miles outside of it in a fairly rural neighborhood, which is about 50% wooded with older homes scattered in small clusters here and there. Most of these homes were built when steel was a big business around here many years ago. Unfortunately, such is not the case now, but that is another story for another day. It was in December of 2014 that my wife was in the kitchen preparing some dinner at about 6 p.m., as darkness had already set in. Our house was fairly big and I was in what we called the study, several rooms away from the kitchen. We call it the study because at some point in the home's history, an owner had many built-in bookcases installed, which we predominantly use for decorative items now. At any rate, I am sitting in a recliner watching Monday Night Football, when my wife lets out this horrific scream while simultaneously dropping a pan on the floor. My heart skipped as I leaped from the chair, running towards the kitchen. Mary was leaning on the counter, already calling me and holding her chest, breathing heavily. What happened, I said. There was some kind of monster or giant looking in the back door, I swear to you. I stepped into the living room where I have a decorative sword hanging on the wall, and grabbing it, I opened the door ready to strike in any direction. I saw and heard nothing, and we called the police. They arrived quickly, and after a brief interview in search of the yard, they remained parked in our driveway for about a half hour, while another unit combed the neighborhood. It was relatively uneventful the police leaving within about an hour's time, speaking to us about prowlers and the like. For whatever reason, two days later, I had decided to order a trail camera. And after having received it, I mounted it on the high point of the gutter's downspout, under the eave of our back roof. From this position, the camera would catch anything on the full length of the deck, including coming up the stairs. My thoughts were at the time that if any prowler came on the deck in the future, I would catch a shot at a bugger and give it to the police. By the way, 
At the time, the thought of Bigfoot hadn't even entered into either of our thought processes. We were not believers in any sense of the word. We didn't speak of it. We didn't watch any of the types of shows which spoke of its existence. I recollect that about 10 days after I put the camera up, I was taking the trash out of the back door to put in the can. When turning my head, the trail camera was gone. I looked on the ground, thinking that it had fallen, even though I had secured it rigidly to the gutter, and it was nowhere to be found. I scoured the entire property and nothing. My wife couldn't believe it when I told her, and frankly, neither could I, but it was, in fact, gone. I have to be honest with you, Bill, that at that moment, this whole thing was getting the best of me. Her screaming, the camera now missing, the cops, everything. Now, I knew that this camera was well-secured. I don't believe the most violent of storms could have shaken it down, and yet it was no longer there. It was about mid-January, after we had had a hard frost in the overnight, when in the morning I was setting up my Mr. Coffee, and I stepped by the back door to look outside. This was the same door that my wife had seen something out of many weeks prior when we had called the police department. At that point, I had not looked down at the deck. I was more or less looking at the sky and towards the backyard, returning to the counter to set up my cup with creamer and sweetener. Having now prepared my coffee, I stepped back by the door to look at the birds by our feeders when my eyes were drawn to some dark patches in the frost on the deck. They were footprints. I slipped my shoes on and grabbed my coat, now standing on the deck in my pajamas looking down at these prints. Frankly, I couldn't believe my eyes. These were extremely large footprints of what appeared to be naked feet, similar to those of a human being. They ran up and down the length of the deck from the railing to the railing, coming right up to and facing the back door at one point, with two sets coming up and down, both up and down the stairs. The other oddity was that whatever it was had skipped many of the steps' treads, both coming up and going back down the stairs. In other words, there was a print on every third or fourth step. With my wife still sleeping, I called the police again and then woke her up so she wouldn't be shocked when they arrived. This portion of my house faces directly east, and at 9 a.m. the sun was already dissipating the frost and the prints. By the time the cops had arrived, 50% or more of the frozen tracks were gone, but they still could see, for the most part, the dimensions and toes on a number of them. One of the cops said, who the heck would be walking around in these frigid temperatures in their bare feet? The other cop said virtually immediately, are you joking? These are Bigfoot tracks. These aren't from a human being. And he laughed. 
He then started pointing out the shapes and angles of the toes and using his own feet for comparison, placed them near the others, showing the differences in size to that of his own feet. My wife was standing by the door with it being open while we were on the deck talking, and she said, are you insinuating that we have a Bigfoot visiting our house? The cop who had laughed said, answer the question for yourselves. Do you know anyone with feet that big who would be walking around in the cold with no shoes on? And it was you who reported weeks ago having seen a monster on your deck, wasn't it? My wife shook her head in response to the question. In the weeks that followed, we had many conversations and sleepless nights as a result of all the things that had transpired. And in the spring, we sold our home. I was, at the time this all began, as I had said in the beginning, completely disconnected to this Bigfoot phenomena. At this point in my life, I have nothing to say other than this creature is real. What exactly it is, where it lives, or where it comes from is an unknown to me. But what I saw with my own two eyes and what happened to my wife at the start of the whole affair has turned the tide in my mind to a believer. What do you make of that, Kev? Man, it's yet another story where a couple is, you know, generally happy where they're living and they run into this giant hairy man and then they decide they have to sell their house. What would you do? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, man, I, I wouldn't be too, I, I'll out. tell you right now, I would not be too keen of doing anything. I would I'm be out. on yeah. edge everything I did around my house. Yeah. And I, I, frankly, I don't know. You know, it's like living next to a really nasty neighbor or something. And they're not going nowhere. They're too poor to move or something. And you're like, man, it's time, you know. Mm. Got to go. Got to time go. Time to go. Yeah, crazy, though. Crazy story. How about the cop setting the lady straight? Hey, lady, aren't you the one that called us? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you the one who said you saw some something or other looking through the glass on your door? Whoops. You know, I'm just Maybe. telling you. I'm just telling you what I think. Maybe. Interesting too that the steps or these uh, footprints in this frost were skipping three or four steps, uh, coming up and down the deck. Yeah. So something was able to... You know what this reminds me of, Kev? We'll have to pull this out of the box someday. Remember that fisherman in the stream in Vermont that heard rocks clacking together or something? And when he finally saw this Bigfoot and it left the stream, it went up a very steep bank with like one or two steps. And he said the leg lifted up to like six feet on the bank. Mm. And it just pumped itself up with super uh, hamstring power, you know, getting right up the bank like you or I would be like, you know, wrestling in the sand, you know, or whatever, dirt collapsing and sliding down, you know. Yeah, no, and, and it reminds me of a couple of other accounts that we've done in the last 24 months where the people actually had to sell their place. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the amazing thing to me because, you know, you hear about people seeing things, but you don't re you don't often hear about people seeing something, hearing something, and then selling their place. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. You know, my heart goes out to anybody that feels unsafe where they live, right? Yeah. Everybody deserves the right to feel uh, safe and secure in their own home and on their own property. 100%. And if you have an unknown, I mean, if I came outside in the morning, there ain't nobody walking around my house, ever. Right. If I came out onto my deck and saw some type of giant footprints traipsing around, I mean, come on. You know, it could only be one or two things, some goofball running around doing that, in which case you'd see their footprints also. Uh, or what's the alternative? What yeah. is the alternative? I'd rather catch you seeing the black-eyed children walking around on your front porch. I'll tell you, one of them little mothers comes to my door, they're going to get jumped. I just, I just want to borrow your phone. Sure, you can borrow it right after I deliver you this beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, you little punk. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Well, Kev, what do we have in our listener mail this fine December day? Yeah, we have some good listener mail again, Bill. So, um... First one comes in from Steve, and Steve's is talking about the Selkies, which I think I covered in our last podcast. These are these creatures that come out of the sea up around Norway. They're like a seal, and then they lose their seal. They, they take off their seal skin, and they become humans uh, for a brief amount of time before they have to return to the, uh, to the seas again, which is their natural home. And you know, Kev, that that struck me as really odd that they made this very uh, expensive, a costly uh, bronze. Uh, yeah, the bronze statue. is beautiful, right? The statue is be beautiful. Yeah, I mean, somebody somewhere thought a whole lot about that to pop that up. You no know? doubt about it. Anyways, let's get back to Steve. Yeah, so Steve says, uh, guys, you're the greatest. Your podcasts entertain and inform my brothers and me as we go through our daily work routines. A lot of the other paranormal programs are far too coarse and vulgar for our tastes. But you two keep it basically, basically, Bill, family friendly. <laughs> it's a liberal definition there. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's we great. are a family friendly show. We try to be. And we try to warn you if someone's going to get their head ripped off. <laughs> we try to. <laughs> and it's great to know that there's still some siblings out there that get along and enjoy each other's company. Keep up the great work. Anyway, regarding the Selkies covered in one of your latest podcasts, please check out the movie, The Secret of Roan Inish. It's really quite a beautiful and gentle film that I think will warm your hearts. Mm. Which, by the way, why would you think we're interested in a quite beautiful and gentle film that would warm our hearts? Yeah, not me, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steve. 
Steve, you went astray there for a minute. Don't you realize what we do here? Yeah, Steve sounds like he likes the Hallmark Channel. We we get to creep on, Steve. (laughs) We don't spend a lot of time on the Hallmark Channel. (laughs) But Steve says, sincerely, best wishes for peace and good health to you this Christmas season and all through the new year. Nice. So thank you, Steve, even though we ridiculed you a little bit. A little bit. Well, it's all it's all grist for the mill, Steve. Exactly. You, it's grist. You entered into the fray. You deserve it. Exactly. <laughs> so this next one comes in from Angela, and she's talking about a show idea which we love, the Chris Bledsoe UFO encounter. And she says, "Hey guys, ran across this story about a guy named Chris Bledsoe and his UFO experience. He's the guy who says that he can summon aliens." and believes he was healed by them. I think he was on on an episode of Beyond Skinwalker Ranch. He definitely had something happen to him, but what? Thought you guys might want to look into this story. Wishing you both a blessed Christmas, and my, may Christ our Lord be with you always. Well, thank mm. you, Angela. Awesome. Appreciate the blessing. I will look blessing. into Chris Bledsoe. I... I I watch Beyond Skinwalker, Skinwalker when I'm not watching the Hallmark Channel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't remember that one. But it sounds a little familiar, but I don't remember the name. You know, Kev, it's possible this was one of those random individuals that just did a quick cameo on an interview when they were out looking for evidence or or people in the town who had seen or heard about something. They did that a little bit, you know. Could be. Could be. Yeah, maybe he showed up on one of the shows and was take Remember that one couple, the manager of the uh the ranch and his wife who live in that one homestead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Remember they were sending them out into the community oh, that's true. They to, were talking talk to people. people. But this is beyond Skinwalker. You know that investigative one with oh, the yeah. different host? No. Yeah, didn't they go to that? They went to a couple of ranches where people had lived and or are living. Oh, yeah, but they looked into everything on Beyond Skinwalker, like Loch Ness Monster, you know, uh, all, all kinds of different cryptids. It's on a different, different show. I think you might be confusing a couple of shows because they were really, they uh, Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, they were on a mission to see if there was a continuum no, what no, was that's going on in Skinwalker. That's like uh, maybe, maybe I got the names mixed up, but there's one that's an investigative show that's like beyond Skinwalker, but not the one where they're going out from Skinwalker to other ranches with that guy from the CIA and yeah, yeah. I think you're talking about Expedition X. No, 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 no. It's Skinwalker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean they're they're just playing off of the Skinwalker name because they don't have much to do with Skinwalker. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we like skinwalkers, but can we move on? Can we move on? (laughs) All right. Well, our last email comes in from Tony. And Tony says, gentlemen, I just want to send a quick note to thank you for the podcast and the great commentary. You guys do such a great job of storytelling and delivering an engaging and entertaining show. I find myself at the edge of my seat waiting for each new episode. 
I'm sure it's time-consuming and not a small effort to create the show each week. So big thanks for all you do to keep us entertained. As a former Long Islander myself from Massapequa Park, and I can pronounce that one, don't worry, Tony, Mm -hmm. I can really relate to you boys. P.S. I wrote in earlier, a while back, about the giant Thunderbird sighting at Micah Mountain in British Columbia. Mm. Yeah. Have a happy and healthy holiday season. Tony D. Hey, Tony. (laughs) Tony. I'm assuming, you know, I'm a hockey fan down here in North Carolina. I'm assuming this isn't Tony D'Angelo of the Carolina Hurricanes. (laughs) It could be. If it is Tony D'Angelo, come on, Tony, like at least drop by and give me an autographed stick or something. <laughs> Being you're from Massapequa Park, I can't get an autographed book from my brother. You should be able to give me a hockey stick. Hey, I'll give you a stick. Hey. <laughs> hey, where's the money you owe me? So that's it this week, Bill. Good podcast, folks. Thank you for all those five-star reviews. Thank you for all those positive written reviews as well. We love to hear from you guys, and uh, it really keeps us going. So thank you for doing all that you do um, uh, to help our lives go better and better. Yeah, and folks, by the way, if you should find yourself walking around eerie Pennsylvania or really anywhere else for that matter you best remember one thing my friends always carry more gun than you think you're going to need sleep tight